I did a multitude of different things. So prior to making that sale, I had made pieces and gave them away to friends and family. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Causebox. I just discovered Causebox and I think it's about to be my new favorite subscription. Causebox is a quarterly, four times per year, subscription box curated by women for women that is filled with all sorts of amazing products and brands that are ethical, sustainable, and have a positive mission to give back and make the world better. Every cause box is limited edition and comes with six to eight full-size products. That's right, full-size. You can get everything from skincare and jewelry to homewares and accessories. I got my own sample box, and here are just a few of my favorite things that were in it. The jade roller, which is so clutch. I also love my new bento box for organizing my snacks and making sure I eat during the day. Plus, the duffel bag and portfolio are things I see myself using forever, basically. Each cause box also comes with an exclusive magazine that tells the story and mission behind each product in the box. And as Side Hustle Pro Podcast, I just love that. You know, I love hearing the backstory. So one of the other really great parts is just getting the cause box in the mail. They ship it to you for free and it feels like you're just opening up a huge bundle of gifts. And this is a big part of adulting for me. You can give yourself gifts whenever you want. You don't have to wait for a holiday or for someone else to give you a gift, all right? And the best part is that, of course, Side Hustle Pro listeners get an exclusive discount. Go to causebox.com slash hustlepro and use the code hustlepro to get your first box for 30% off. That's right. You can get your first box worth over $250 for less than $39. Go check it out at causebox.com slash hustle pro and use the code hustle pro. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here. And today in the guest chair, we have Lorraine West, the founder of Lorraine West Jewelry. Lorraine has always had an affinity for creating and donning unique jewelry. Her mother's love for ornate pieces was the inspiration for her to delve into jewelry design while studying illustration at Fashion Institute of Technology. After teaching herself how to manipulate various metals into beautiful original jewelry pieces, and with the increasing demand from family and friends to create custom designs, Lorraine West jewelry was conceived made from precious metals, including gold, platinum, sterling silver, brass, and copper, and inspired by life experiences, symbology, and geometric shapes, Lorraine West creates strikingly elegant pieces that allow clients to connect to their own beauty and power. Lorraine West jewelry is proudly handmade in NYC with love. And in this episode, I really love what Lorraine had to share about how a chance encounter led her to start selling her jewelry, how she came to design custom pieces for artists like Erica Badu, Common, and more, and how she side hustled for over 10 years before she could work on her jewelry business full time. I cannot wait to get into this one. 
get a little peek into the life of Lorraine. When were you first bitten by the side hustle bug or the entrepreneurship bug? My first bite was when I was 19 years old. I was in college at FIT and I was studying illustration at the time. I do have a degree in fine art and illustration. And during my junior year, I wanted to just experiment with something three-dimensional. So I went to the jewelry supply store on 36th Street in Manhattan and I bought some pliers and wire and beads and just started making wire wrap rings and necklaces, lock rings. I had locks at the time and just experimented. It was solely meant to just be a hobby and for fun. And was FIT, was that your first foray with a career path or had you explored anything else before? I went to college right out of high school, but I've been an artist since the first grade. So I always knew I wanted to be an artist. And when I was a junior in high school, you know, I wasn't quite sure what direction in the arts I wanted to go into, but I had the most experience with drawing and painting. So I just chose illustration. So now what happened after FIT? What was your career path? Do you immediately start to sell your jewelry or your, you know, things that you were exploring on the side or did you have more of a corporate role? No, I, I was studying illustration. I had a rigorous schedule from um, 8.30 to 6.30, Monday through Friday. And like I said previously, I bought some supplies and just started, you know, playing around making jewelry for fun. And it was a part-time job I had on the weekends at Lifetime Natural Market in the village. And there was this lovely um, elder black woman that would come in every weekend to get juice. and I loved her locks and I thought to myself, well, you know what? I should just show her my, my box of jewelry inventory that I had <laughs> Showed her the box and she loved some of the lock rings and she asked how much it was. And I had to come up with a price on the spot. I think I might've charged her like eight bucks for it and she bought it. And that was how my business started. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What do you mean? That's how it started. So what happened next? Did you put up a website? Did you start going to uh, markets on the weekend? Well, I had a very interesting career uh, history the first 10 years. So that's the first 10 years. And I did a multitude of different things. So prior to making that sale, I had made pieces and gave them away to friends and family. And after I made the sale, I started making more inventory, experimenting more and keeping that box around. And the more pieces I made, I had to get a bigger box to carry around to show people. <laughs> I, I just started selling to people, whoever I met, I would show them and I would do like little markets. You know, there was a, a poetry reading I used to go to on Sundays called a Sunday tea party. And sometimes they'd have like a vendor market. So that was the first place I ever sold my pieces. And I also used to, um, paint like glass bottles and candles. So I was selling the candles and I was selling um, the jewelry. And that's how it started. So from there, um, you know, just meeting more people and word of mouth and it just grew. You mentioned the first 10 years, like this was the first 10 years of you, you know, selling and kind of treating it like a side hustle, right? You mentioned this part-time job. So at what point did you realize you can go all in on this full time and make this your career? 
Well, I attempted to make it a full-time career throughout that 10 years. Okay. Truly the last 10 years prior, I mean, rather the last 10 years, I've been solely full-time as a jeweler. The first 10 years, they were periods where I would work a part-time job. I still kept doing my, you know, side hustle, which was the jewelry. I also did other things. So I was a professional illustrator. So I was also getting commissions for illustrations. I started meeting a lot of musicians who would buy my jewelry, but also they would like other parts of my creative. So they would, you know, commission me to do illustration or I've been on, um, on tour with some of the artists, you know, helping assist wardrobe. I've worked on video sets, uh, doing prop styling, assistant styling. So within that first 10 years, I had a lot of different experience in the arts and getting paid for my talents. But I wouldn't say I was solely just selling my jewelry full time. And there were ups and downs in between those times where I was making really good money. And then there were times where it was really slow. So sometimes I have to go and get a job. You know, I didn't really quite have a clear direction then. So I just did whatever kind of came. It wasn't until 2010 when things got clear and I decided to have a laser focus in my jewelry design. And that's when the business really took off. Hmm, very interesting. And I love the fact that you're so creative. You say this so casually, you know, I did a little, I went on tour, did some wardrobe styling. <laughs> you know, I paint, I do this. And it's so impressive to me, like who ha- I have no, not a artistic bone in my body. Well, I'm creative, but I mean, I can't pick up a paintbrush. I can't do jewelry. At least I don't think we can talk about that. So that's very interesting that you tried to go full time. And there are moments where you're like, okay, I have to get a job. You know, this isn't sustaining me. So what changed, what changed when you realized you needed to have a laser focus? What does that mean? Well, I had 10 years of experience. So I had 10 years of ups and downs, um, wins and losses. And by that time, my work had grown. You know, it had gotten to a certain maturity and I knew that I couldn't go backwards and keep doing things the same way. Mm -hmm. So I had to make a choice. Now, before I decided to go full time as a jeweler and a jewelry designer, I did work two jobs. So I worked two years at J. Crew. I was um, operations manager and HR manager. And then the other two years I was at anthropology. So I was assistant jewelry department manager. And then the second part of my uh, time there, I had stepped down to become uh, a visual team liaison because my business started growing, but I knew that I needed to keep a consistent income. So, you know, the 10 years prior, all the ups and downs and the hustling and all these different things, I realized, I have to have a steady income. Of course, right. You know, because I have to pay bills, I have to eat, I have to still invest in my business because I was still doing that. Um, so I would say the end of 2009 and the beginning of 2010, I started planning my exit strategy. Okay. 
right? What did that look like? Yeah. Well, I started selling my work at the Brooklyn Flea with a friend of mine that was selling her vintage. And she gave me the opportunity to have my own table with a very small, you know, fee every Saturday. And that is what really helped me get to where I am now. And I'll tell you why, because I was doing a lot of cool pieces, but they were very like super unique or super big and bold and wasn't really catering to a broader audience. So when I started selling at the flea, I was able to meet all these different types of clientele and they would give me feedback. They would say, oh, I love this piece, but it's too big. Maybe if it was smaller, I would try it. So, you know, as weeks progress, I would experiment and try different things. And I started doing minimalist work. And it was that work that kind of like opened up my scope and opened up my client base and um, increased my revenue. So I was doing that for, for several months. And I said to myself, you know what, if I can devote more time to create more inventory, I can make more sales and I can do this full time. So that's pretty much how I decided to just focus on jewelry. Plus, I was also continuing to do custom work. Okay. And by custom work, you mean you were commissioned by people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was commissioned by, you know, artists to do things for, you know, their video shoots or editorials or uh, just personal pieces. And then by 2011, I was commissioned to do my first set of wedding engagement bands. So that's how that business started in 2011. Just mm. by a friend asking. The friend said, hey, can you help me out? I didn't really know what that meant. If it meant, <laughs> can you design them, make them, or can you take me to the you know Diamond District to you know help me pick out something? Right, right. To myself, you know what? I'll do it. I'll make it. I didn't even know what I was doing, really. But I figured it out. I didn't mm-hmm. have to work with wax. I had made rings before out of wax, uh, carving wax models and getting it casted. And uh, my hand fabrication was getting better. So I was able to kind of um, fuse both those uh, methods. And then I started building relationships with um, contractors in the Diamond District as well. So those three things, being able to bring them together, I was able to start this business, the other business, the fine jewelry business. The fine jewelry business. So that's interesting that you realize, you know, people want this, there's demand, but I need to be able to provide more inventory. So walk us through the day you actually gave in your notice at Anthropology or, you know, whichever part time place you were at that point. And then the next day, did you just go full force into making as much inventory as possible? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And the interesting thing was listening to my gut. Because I remember my last few weeks at Anthro, they had opened up the Chelsea store and I had the privilege to work on the visual team. So I got to see what it was like to see like a raw retail space of that caliber and see how it was, you know, Mm. put together visually. And the visual team, we had to meet from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. And everybody wanted that schedule because when you're a manager, you work in crazy schedule. Mm-hmm. So that was great. But I noticed I was really tired every day. And I said to myself, why am I so tired? You know, maybe because I'm getting up early and we're doing a lot of hard work. And so come to find out that I was actually pregnant, didn't know it yet. Oh, found out I was pregnant 
um, like a couple of weeks after I left Anthro. So I was already working, working on all this inventory. I was like pregnant and left. And so, I mean, that would probably freak somebody out, right? Right. I bet that puts you into overdrive though. You're like, oh, wow, I'm, I am about to have this kid. I need to make money. Exactly. But it was perfect. It was the perfect time. I just listened to my gut because I was able to work my whole pregnancy, making inventory, selling at the flea. I was fulfilling custom orders for artists. I mean, at that time, Erica Badu was on one of her tours and she commissioned me to do some wing bracelets, like inspired of, uh, from wings. So I did some in brass, I did some in leather. And you know, I was like seven months pregnant making those things. So hmm. that with that money, I invested in a, a new setup in my studio. And that was when things changed because I was able to do more. Were you ever intimidated with the custom? Because with custom, you don't really have a blueprint of what to charge. So how did you navigate that? Well, when I first started, I didn't really understand how to price things. You know, I was just kind of guesstimating. But as the years went by, I started looking at what prices were in the market. You know, you look at magazines, you go to stores, number one. And number two, I just started researching, you know, what okay. what are the criteria of pricing in the jewelry industry? And then there's different types of pricing depending on the type of jewelry. You know, there's costume jewelry, there's fashion jewelry, there's fine jewelry. So in the fine jewelry realm, I mean, you can mark things up from the cost of goods up to 300%. So, but in any other type of jewelry, you would mark it up, you know, double, you know, whatever the cost is, you, you add um, a fee for your design fee, uh, labor fee, and then you double it. So, but then sometimes you might price something based on the idea or the concept or how much thought and planning is put into it. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes that can add up more than the actual cost of making it, but it's more so like, this is a one of a kind. It's very difficult to figure out how to do, how to execute. So there's all these different variables that come into play. I mean, now I know how to price things really well because I just have more experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And I even took a, a class on it, you know, to really, Oh, really? And yeah. I took a class on pricing specifically. Yes. Um, wow. There's a program called flourish and thrive, mm -hmm. um, com, And they basically have like all these great modules that you can purchase. And the one I took was, um, multiply your profits. So pretty much went over, you know, operations, like how you should operate your business, like how you should price, and these are, you know, this course is led by an industry leader. Her name is Tracy Matthews. Okay. And she sells, you know, her own jewelry very well. And, you know, she works with like the best of the best in the industry to get insight to help, you know, the students who purchase the, um, the program. I still refer to it. Oh, wow. We'll have to talk to Tracy. But you know what? I also love Lorraine. I love the fact that you've mentioned this a few times in that as you are producing and you're already, you know, you have your natural gift and you also supplement that with the continual education. So you, you've 
if you don't know how to do something, you will go and study how to make rings, how to do this better, how to make this more efficient. Can you talk a little bit about that part of the the process? Well, you don't mind. I would like to go back to my childhood. So my parents, of course, yeah, my parents were entrepreneurs as well. Um, you know, they weren't corporate at all. Like, and, and they also worked jobs in between, like they had all these different hustles, you know? So I saw my parents hustle in different ways. So my dad uh, was a master carpenter and electrician. My mom was a baker. She was um, a housewife, but you know, she had all these like odd jobs she would do for extra money. So during the holidays, she'd like bake cakes and sell them for like a hundred bucks, like these huge black cakes. She's from Trinidad. And, but just her process, like when I would watch how she would separate things, like she would make the pound cake first, she would, you know, mix the fruit, put it through the grinder. She would soak it for a year. So all the planning that she put into it, that's why her cakes were a hundred dollars because they tasted amazing and they were made so well. They were perfect. I mean, I've still never tasted a black cake as as good as hers. Mm. That was the same way. You know, he was a master. Like if something wasn't good, he would rip it down. I do the same thing. If something isn't right, I'll start over if I have to, you know, until I get it right. And if I don't understand something, I will research it. I'll ask for help. I'll find a way to do it the best way I can do it. That is so good. And it's such a good reminder to continue to study your craft for everybody. Even me, like hearing you speak just reminds me of how much work that I said I was going to do. Like, oh, I'm going to do this to study this. I want to spend a little bit of time on this. And, um, you know, this is just an important reminder to actually do those things. So now let's talk a little bit about the marketing process, (laughs) because I know that's a place that you, I'm sure was a learning curve as well. Now, I want to say at what stage did you start to have regular celebrity clientele? And you mentioned that a lot of these were organic relationships, but is there anything special that you did to attract the that type of clientele? Well, I attracted the clientele from pretty much the start. I mean, I started making jewelry in 97. I met Erica Badu at a poetry reading that we both used to attend. And I had did an illustration of her for a class project that was really dope. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to ask her when, if I see her at the next poetry reading, I'm going to ask her if she'll accept a copy of the, of the image. So she did. And, um, she invited me to a show. I went to see her perform. So this was about a month or two before her album came out. And, um, that was it. But then I had another friend who's a fashion designer and she wanted to show her an image of a dress she made. So I gave, you know, I gave Badu the image and she fell in love with it. They started their own relationship. So I started doing jewelry a couple of years later, like more serious, right? I mean, I started mm-hmm. in seven, but more professional looking, like a, a strong point of view, you know, things like that. I started working with leather and that same friend I introduced Badu to, she started working with Andre 3000 and she was doing, a, her name is Ashaka Givens. And she was doing these fur pants for Andre. (laughs) You know what? You should come with me to a fitting. You should just do a bunch of sketches and show him and make him a leather bracelet because Andre wore leather cuffs. So I was like, okay. So I just did a bunch of sketches, never made any of the things that I sketched. And he chose a sketch and I made a bracelet for him, a pair of leather cuffs with bone. And Badu saw them. And loved it and said, you know what? I want some leather cuffs. So mm. that's how 
our relationship started. So I did many of her leather cuffs um, from 99 to, you know, 2010. Mm. Um, and then I did a lot of metal pieces for her in between. But she's, I mean, worn a lot of my work throughout her career. It's been pretty amazing. Like, yes, you know, in her music videos, editorials, on stage, the grocery store, as she said. <laughs> I love it. Store, you know, yeah. um, so that was how it started. And just being around Erica, going to shows, I would meet other artists. Um, I met Common through Erica and he liked my work. So I started making him, you know, silver bracelets and um, he started commissioning me to do art for him. I did three children's books. I illustrated three of his children's books. That's amazing. I didn't even know about this illustration side, Lorraine. Like I really didn't. <laughs> it was early to mid um, mm-hmm. 2000s. My first commission illustration was actually professional um, commission illustration was for Dead Prez. I did the inner lining of the album jacket. Right. But let's get free. Hey guys, it's Michaela here with a quick word from our sponsors. Let me tell you about one of the ultimate side hustle hacks that I just learned about. When you don't have free time, you end up not reading or working on personal development as much as you'd like to, right? Well, there is an incredible app that solves this problem and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist and here's what it does. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. And it's made for busy people like us who want to get the main points of a book quickly so we can start using that info right away. I like Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I can get the key takeaways of the books that my guests recommend during the lightning round, which helps me evaluate which books I want to make time to read in full later. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want and all for one low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for Side Hustle Pro listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Hustle Pro to try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B as in boy, L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Hustle Pro to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Hustle Pro. What I really love about your story is I have um, some friends who also make jewelry. I have friends who are true, true artists and um, they're side hustlers. And I and I know that they're so, so good, but that mental shift from thinking that, oh, this is something I have to do on the side to thinking I can really do this, like I, this, I can embrace this fully is is something that takes time. But I want people to see that being an artist being a jewelry maker. I mean, you you went to FIT, so maybe you already had that kind of mental shift, but for many people, it seems unfeasible. So I love that you're sharing your path and how you came to be. And what I'm hearing from you with the celebrity side too, and I think this is important, 
a lot of people think, oh, I just need to somehow get my work in front of this major celebrity. And they don't, you don't realize that um, start with where you are with your peers who, you know, who are doing things in different industry and and be patient because you never know who will see your work that way. Instead of right now thinking I need to go send something to Beyonce, like why not look around at who, who, you know, your poetry reading, your, your you know, your regular soul session that you go to all, every weekend and start to work together and you never know who they work with. Well, no, I think that's a great way to look at it. And also, I mean, yes, I've been very fortunate to work with uh, many absolutely amazing artists, celebs throughout my career. But as my business has grown and the assortment and services that I provide has grown, I have been able to create things for some of the most amazing people that work in other fields, Right. you know, so that they're the stars in their field, you know, mm -hmm. not just about celebrities, you know, of course. I mean, I think why we love celebrities is because the bigger they become, the further it seems you can touch them. So when you get an opportunity to do that, it's like, wow, you know, yes, that's amazing. But you're also a reflection of that. So when you get an like for me, I'm a reflection of all these people that I've worked with. Like they saw the same thing in me that I saw in them. Right. Right. If you see that in yourself, you will eventually get to that point. But you also have to say to yourself, what is your goal? Is your goal just to get on celebrities? Because you can get on celebrities and still not be able to pay your rent. Exactly. You know what I mean? I'm so glad you brought that up as well, because, you know, the reason I mentioned the celebrity part is because I think that that gives you a level of exposure and almost not necessarily a good thing, but it does kind of validate some of the things that you're doing in the terms of other people, in terms of customers, right? Like when they see your Instagram page and they see who you've worked with, it's it's more impressive to them sometimes. Like, oh, wow, oh, wow. But that's not all there is. Like you don't pay your day-to-day -day bills hoping that some artist commissions you to make some cuffs. Like the, the work that really impressed me was your wedding work, actually, like the bands. And I said to myself, oh, wow, I wish we had thought to do something like that, you know? Well, it's never too late. I do those all the time. I do those all the time. <laughs> let's talk, let's shift to the business side. So what are all the things that, you know, Lorraine West Jewelry now offers? What is the business? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I have an online shop um, that I have some of my uh, best sellers at the moment. I present my work on social media. Instagram is, is my, um, my thing that I focus on. Um, so I get a lot of, uh, commissions through Instagram followers. Would you say that's your main marketing channel? It's one of them. Um, definitely. Okay. Um, referrals are big. I get a lot of business through referrals, you know? So if a customer is happy and they love their work and then someone says, Hey, where'd you get your ring? You know, that helps a lot. And again, that goes back to the type of clientele you're working with. So, so there's people that they're professionals, they're doing big things in their own a life and their own careers. And they have friends that are doing big things in their life and their own careers. So they're, they're kind of like, they trust one another to refer them for these big steps. You know, getting married is mm -hmm. a big step. And for some people, that's the most expensive item besides a home or a car or sending their kids to college that they're going to spend. Right. So it's best that they find someone that they trust and they like their work and 
And also, I'm very fortunate that there's a lot of people of color that they like my work, but also they want to support someone of color. Yes. So that helps too, you know, but I don't want to just be seen as that, you know, just like, oh, I'm a black jeweler, you know, or I'm a woman jeweler. Like I want to just be seen as an amazing jeweler. So, um, so I can work with whoever, you know, may like my work. And in those early days, as you went full time and you were pregnant, were there, um, other things you put in place in your business to build on that word of mouth and, and market and make sure that people knew about you, even people who didn't see you at the Brooklyn Flea? Well, yeah, I had a website and I was really good at having a blog at the time. So I would update my blog based on all the new projects that I did. And I think that was helpful. And I would send out, you know, emails to my clients and let them know what I was up to. Okay. You know, emails are very important. They're still one of the biggest ways to um, connect with clientele, is emails. You're so right about the emails. But um, as you were speaking, I just thought about something else in terms of the financial aspect of all of this. Now, jewelry is metals. I, I have no insight into how expensive that is. But tell us a little bit about the investment piece. How do you know how much to invest in so that you are not, you know, your cost of goods aren't sky high and you're not making that back each month? Well, I think for ready to wear, it's much easier because I'm making a sample and then I know how much it costs so I can price it. I think with custom, I mean, I'm a lot better at it now, but you know, when I first started mm -hmm. doing the engagement and bridal rings, um, it was tough because I didn't realize how expensive these materials were, you know, um, gold and platinum and diamonds and colored gems. Um, it's very, it's very expensive. But I realized that the way that you price fine jewelry, mm -hmm. you can mark it up, up to 300%. But, you know, if you're not like a, a huge brand, um, maybe that's not the way to go. So the way I price is, you know, the cost of materials, um, whatever labor, if I have to contract labor out or any work that I do, I'm paying myself as if I would pay a contractor. And then I charge a jeweler's fee. So that fee is the profit. So the rest is cost. So people are getting a better deal working with me as opposed to going to some of the other jewelry stores, but there's other stores online and brick and mortar that maybe they might give, give them a better price than I would because they might have a huge inventory of gems and they might have tons of gold and things like that on hand, uh, molds, you know, inventory mm -hmm. that they've invested in. So for me, it is custom, you know, so every client that orders a bridal ring or fine ring or fine piece of jewelry is we're starting from scratch. So whatever the cost is at that time, like the cost of gold, the cost of materials, that's going to be, you know, in the price. So Lorraine, I know you have a mixture of um, different types of revenue streams. You have your custom 
builds. And then you also have um, signature pieces that I can go online to LorraineWestJewelry.com at any point and purchase, which I have. I love those gold hoop earrings. Um, so how do you make your projections so that you're not fretting each month that you're, you're just going to break even? How do you um, set yourself up so you know, I'll do X amount of business from the website. I also have X amount of commissions going on. How does that work? That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Well, I pretty much know what my revenue streams are every month based on the custom first. Uh, the custom bridal or custom fine is my major means of income. Then comes the website and then comes like any extra that may come from referral or Instagram. Um, the website sales increase based on how much I'm promoting the items that are on the site. Mm -hmm. um, also, when I do pop-ups, that's a huge part of revenue as well. So I usually do pop-ups during the holiday season or certain special events like a Mother's Day pop-up or Valentine's Day pop-up, and that I can project how much I'm going to sell. So that's really the only time currently that I'm making lots of inventory and based on prior sales, I know what to make or based on what type of pop-up it is and who I think the customer is going to be like, I'll accommodate that. Okay. So that's very smart. So you kind of spread out your workload in that way as well, instead of just always thinking you have to make all this inventory around the clock and then have it just sitting there. Yeah. You tie it in with promotion. Yeah. I mean that for jewelry, I just don't think that's advised unless you have a brick and mortar store, unless mm -hmm. you have an online business that's like off the chain, you know what I mean? Where you just get mm -hmm. tons of sales. Um, the type of jewelry that I do, it is an acquired taste. So what you're saying is as a small business, unless you have maybe a shop, it's not advisable to just have inventory laying around. Correct. Yes. Especially in the jewelry industry because um, it's very expensive. So you have to look at your your materials and your inventory as money. So money is just sitting there. If if you're not able to present it and market it, you know, to sell right away, then you're wasting money. Mm. So most of my work is made to order because this is the most expensive gold is right now, you know. So it's important to save, you know, and um, have enough operating capital to operate other parts of your business. Because mm -hmm. it's not just buying materials, you know, right. you have to pay your studio space rent, you have to pay the lights, the internet, um, your website domain, you know, whatever other bus um, business expenses that come up. So a lot of people lose money. You know, speaking of money, a lot of people lose money in the first few years of their business. What has been your experience as part as far as losing money, profitability, Losing money has been at a minimum for me because of the practices that I've explained earlier. But I think if I've lost, it didn't seem like a loss. Like, for instance, if I decided to do a pop-up market and the vendor fee is like 500 bucks, and then I make, you know, like $3,000 worth of inventory, and how long did it take me to make the inventory? You know, did it take me away from another project that I'm already working on or something new that I could start that I could invest in? I might have made that money back, but 
maybe I should have put the energy somewhere else. So sometimes it's not always about money. Sometimes it's about you have this set of money, but you have to make a decision where you want to put it and where you want to invest it, right? And that's true entrepreneurship, like taking a risk and spending money and investing in your business is being an entrepreneur, right? So it's like I take calculated risks and sometimes I take uncalculated risks. So you take a deep dive in and you see what works. And then with that experience, I'd make another decision, okay. if that makes sense. I hope that if It does. But were you able to make a profit or were you able to pay yourself from the, the moment you went full time or did it take a while? Well, I was able to pay myself at certain times. You know, like I said, the first 10 years of, of doing business, I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge that I have now. Right. So there were times that I'd make a huge commission and I would pay bills like three months in advance. And then I expected that the same thing would happen again three months later. And sometimes it didn't always happen that way. So I had to kind of learn the hard way that you have to have a plan. You have to have um, various streams of income, even within uh, this one thing that you do. Like I just do jewelry right now, but I have various incomes within this business. You know, I have different streams because I'm, I have different services that I provide. I want to know what's next for you and your business. Well, what's next for me is I am working on a website refresh and I will be launching my first ready to wear fine jewelry collection this summer. Ooh. I'm very excited about that. I'll be presenting a special presentation of some of my career highlights. Yes. In uh, the fall for NYC mm -hmm. Jewelry Week. And I have a few partnerships and collabs coming up that are top secret at the moment. <laughs> Many other things. Okay, okay. I'm so excited for you and I'm excited to shop. I will be putting aside a little bit in my budget for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. And now let's hop into a quick lightning round. You know the deal. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Uh, Flourish and Thrive Academy. Alrighty. Number two, what has been the best book or event that you have learned from and applied directly to your business? Well, right now I'm reading a book called Everything is Figureoutable by Marie Forleo. Mm -hmm. And it just talks about how you can pretty much solve almost any problem you have in life and business. Mm. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your daily routine? Uh, getting my son ready in the mornings with my husband. Okay. Number four, what's a personal habit that you think helped you out significantly while you were still side hustling? Practicing gratitude daily and connecting with my tribe. And finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, go out full time with their passions, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? Keep your day job until the side hustle can support itself and you. 
Taking care of your well-being first will allow you the space to grow your business on the side. And there you have it, you guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.